morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world. And welcome to the first episode, the, the debut episode of Movie Astrology. And joining me today is the pod prince, all-round top man and the statesman to my Kingsman. John Burke, man, how's it going, Matt? Not bad at all. Uh, this is a, I'm excited to be doing this. It's a show uh, which I've kind of been thinking about for a while now and uh, I floated the idea to yourself and it's now, with your collaboration, being turned into what is going to be a very fun show. So I'm really looking forward to this. Me too, man. I love this idea. Um, you know, uh, do you want to explain what, like, exactly what movie astrology is going to be? Absolutely, yeah, man. On this show, so John and myself, we're going to dive into a randomly selected year in film, uh, and there's plenty to choose from, so we're not going anywhere anytime soon. And um, we're going to discuss the top movies and other notable releases during the year, the movers and the shakers during award season, debuting performers and who came into the world and sadly who left the world as well on that john can you reveal the year that we're going to be covering on this first episode please for our first episode we're going to do the year 1988 which was completely randomly assigned but it turns out i think this is a pretty good year to start with there's an awful lot to get through and a fun fact for this 1988 has the most roman numeral digits in it from the 20th century m c m l x x x v one 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 uh, so, anybody out there who likes Roman numerals, that's what that was just, that's just for you, that one. But, um, and also, if you like, it, The Splendid Hungry Eyes by Eric Carmen was released this year, so ah. uh, that was played on my iPod today, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. <laughs> Man, that's, you know, it's a, um, I like Dirty Dancing, even though, that's the right song, right? It's in Dirty Dancing? Yeah, it's, okay. it's Dirty Dancing, yeah. Interesting. And Sweet Child of Mine as well, just to give us a bit more cred and Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. So it's a a mixed bag of music. But before we look at the cinematic story, here are some of the major events from throughout the world in the year 1988. The Soviet Union begins its program of economic restructuring with legislation initiated by Premier Mikhail Gorbachev. Phantom of the Opera, the longest-running Broadway play ever, starts. The 1988 Winter Olympics are held in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Big news, the first McDonald's restaurant in the country run by Communist Party opens in Belgrade, Yugoslavia. Former pop singer Sonny Bono is elected mayor of Palm Springs, California. Boeing 747-400's first flight. Microsoft releases Windows 2.1. In celebration of uh, imprisoned Nelson Mandela's 70th birthday, Wembley Stadium hosts a concert Featuring stars from uh, music, comedy, and film. In soccer, the Netherlands defeats the Soviet Union 2-0 to win Euro 88. I don't even know what that is, man. <laughs> That's good old soccer. I know more about that. <laughs> Al-Qaeda is formed by Osama bin Laden. Enzo Ferrari, founder of the Italian automobile manufacturer Ferrari, dies at the age of 90 after a long illness. The Republican National Convention in New Orleans, Louisiana, nominates George H.W. Bush for president and Dan Quayle for the vice president of the U.S. And not our finest hour. The Iran-Iraq <laughs> War ends with an estimated one million lives lost. 1988 Summer Olympics are held in Seoul, South Korea. NASA resumes space shuttle flights, grounded after the Challenger disaster with space shuttle Discovery. Wolf Street police shootings. Two police officers are gunned down, execution style in oh. Australia. Artin Senna became Formula One champion for the first time by winning 1988 Japanese Grand Prix. Philip Morris buys Kraft Food for the small price of $13.1 billion. The Morris Worm, the first computer worm distributed (laughs) via the internet, 
written by Robert Tappan Morris, is launched from Massachusetts Institute of Technology in the U.S. and ruining computers everywhere. Still does. Uh, the U.S. Air Force acknowledges existence of the stealth bomber Lockheed F-117 Nighthawk. The f- first World AIDS Day is held. Benazir Bhutto is sworn in as Prime Minister of Pakistan, becoming the first woman to head the government of an Islam-dominated state. American vocalist Roy Orbison dies of a heart attack in Hendersonville, Tennessee, age 52. Oh, I like Roy. Pan Am Flight 103 is blown up in a terrorist attack over Lockerbie in Scotland, killing 270 people. TAT-8, the first transatlantic telephone cable to use op- uh, optical fibers, is completed. An official internet connection to Europe is made between Princeton, New Jersey and Stockholm, Sweden. And finally, Tim Berners-Lee begins openly to discuss his plans for what would become the World Wide Web at CERN. So 1988 had an awful lot going for it. Not always good. There are things there which push the world forward. Yeah, and it's important to look at the context of the, the time when the movies are coming out because, while realistically what's happening in 88 is going to impact the movies that come out in 89 and 90, it's still the, the world that we're living in when these movies are coming out and how they're received and how people you know, what they pay to go see, I think, is reflective of how the attitude or the tone of the world is at the time. Yeah, yeah, films, such, there are such things as films being of an era or of a time, and there are films which do reflect what was going on at the time, and to be fair, there's, even, there's films now which reflect what's going on in these times, and if it wasn't for TATA and Tim Berners-Lee, we wouldn't be doing these podcasts now if it wasn't for them creating the World Wide Web. Which is crazy when you think, because it's, 2018 you know so it's exactly what uh i'm gonna be bad at math for a second 30 years years? on the dot um or not quite on the dot but you know 30 years ago that all of that started and now look what we're doing i mean we we communicate we met on the internet and we've become friends via the internet and we do podcasts via the internet so it is you know it's crazy that this year is the one that came up yeah this one's for you tim thank you for everything you've done so, you mentioned films, films, that's what we're here for. 1988, the top 10 for 98 is a, looking back now in hindsight, is a very mixed bag of films, which I think, being that we're in 2018, it's it's hard to imagine these films being the top 10 of, some of them being in the top 10 of any year. Without further, we'll run through the four. So, John, going from 10 to 1, what were the top 10 films of 1988? Well, number 10 was uh, Beetlejuice, directed by Tim Burton, starring Michael Keaton, Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, Jeffrey Jones, Catherine O'Hara, and Winona Ryder. Uh, grossed $73 million domestic, um, and worldwide's unavailable. But, uh, man, I've seen Beetlejuice so many times. It's been a while since I last watched it in its entirety, but um, I'm a huge Michael Keaton fan. I tend to like Tim Burton's older stuff, and, uh, yeah, I, it's always been a, a, a favorite of mine, I think. I agree about Tim Burton's older stuff. His new stuff is patchy, but it's, it's good. But his old stuff, I mean, he's, before this was Pee Wee's Big Adventure and then Beetlejuice, which led on to Batman, Edward's yep. Hands and everything that snowballed after that. But I love this film. It's showtime. I love this film. Um, yeah. I love this ridiculous black comedy. As a kid, I was fairly creeped out by Beetlejuice, but now I just see it as Michael Keaton having a hell of a good time. For real, yeah, I actually agree with that. As a kid, I was a little scared at times, but I still enjoyed the movie um, enough to watch it, you know, multiple times. Well, the the original had a much darker original script as well. Um, so oh. Tim Burton actually scaled it back and gave it kind of his his sort of gothic black comedy flavor. But the original was a lot 
a lot darker. So um, that's interesting. Yeah, it wouldn't have been quite as fun to watch. Yeah, I wonder, man. I was kind of I'm kind of curious to see what that would have been, though. Um, there's still talk of a sequel happening. They keep yes. they keep saying it's going to happen. Uh, I'll believe it when I see it at this point. But you know, it could it could occur. It, I, I, I'm on the fence about that because I, I, I'm a huge fan of Michael Keaton in most anything. Yeah. But what made Beetlejuice so special, and is the same for a lot of films in this era, is is the fact that you know the practical effects side of it, or kind of the stop motiony type effects, which yeah, kind of lend it that authenticity, which I think would be lost in if it was remade or a sequel was released now. It's possible, but if Burton is involved, I don't know that he would change how he does it. Um, he does like the practical effects and stuff, so it's possible. And like with Star Wars, like with the resurgence of Force Awakens and Last Jedi, practical effects have been more prominent. You know, they're still using CG, but not like the the prequels did. You know, they're they're cool. going for the practical, actual aliens and stuff. So maybe maybe there's a, a pull for that. Yeah, that's the number ten from '88 is Beetlejuice, which is that's a pretty good movie to be in top ten, but it's also I would say it's a family movie, right? Like it, it feels more family oriented than, than what I would expect to be in a top ten, maybe. Um, yeah, I think when you, on the on the basis when you think about what the story is about, a young couple who die basically and become ghosts and haunt their mm-hmm. former host house, and then you've got a strange, horrible ghost Beetlejuice, he's kind of trying to scare them away. It doesn't really sound very family oriented, but. No. It, it does have that f- flavor to it. Tim Burton knows just how, just when to uh, restrain himself from going too far. So I wouldn't watch it with my with my uh, young kids, but when they grow up to seven or eight, maybe I'll show yeah. it them. I mean, I was six years old when this movie came out, and I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theater or soon after, because um, I definitely saw it before I saw Batman. So like, I was familiar with. Yeah, you know, I didn't necessarily know who Tim Burton was, but I was still familiar with Michael Keaton. You know, like that's that's Beetlejuice as Batman. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that actually. Yeah, but I guess that leads us to number nine from '88 is uh, Cocktail, uh, directed by Roger Donaldson, starring Tom Cruise, Brian Brown, and Elizabeth Shue. Gotta love the 80, '80s Elizabeth Shue movies. Yep. Um, domestic gross seventy-eight million, uh, and worldwide one hundred and seventy-one point five million. And I saw this in the theater, too. Uh, my mom was a bartender, so we went and watched Cocktail, um, and I broke some bottles when we got home trying to be like Tom Cruise. Flary uh, Glock Cruise, yeah. Yes, which is funny, because I actually didn't, like, I saw this movie in 88, and then it would be many, many, like, almost 20 years later before I ever actually heard of Flair bartending, and it was, like, a thing on the Food Network for a little while, where, like, they were having competitions for, like, the Flair bartenders, and I was like, oh, it's like Cocktail. But somehow, like, Maybe this movie was ahead of its time. I don't know. Was, you know, I have no clue. But I, as a kid, I thought it was fun. No idea if it's any good. I've, I've only seen it the one time when I was like six years old. So, As an adult, I think it's bloody awful. But um, <laughs> Tom Cruise himself has basically, he admitted that the film wasn't, it wasn't, you know, uh, wasn't a high point in his career. But in this is 88, Tom Cruise is still, I mean, he has another film this year, which is slightly better, shall we say. I don't yeah. know. It's a, I just, I, I rewatched it within the last five years uh, and it's just kind of got a a bit of a vacuous feel to it none of it ever feels particularly vital it's all a bit throwaway and I wasn't a fan of Cocktail Um, Roger Donaldson director he went on to do Dante's Peak so I'd rather do watch Dante's Peak than Cocktail and that says something (laughs) yeah give me Pierce Um, Brosnan yeah I I probably have nothing else to say on on Cocktail so let's move to number eight Uh, 
The Naked Gun from the Files of Flea Squad, <laughs> directed by David Zucker, starring Leslie Nielsen, the man himself, Priscilla Presley, Ricardo Montalban, George Kennedy, and the infamous O.J. Simpson. Um, $78 million in the domestic gross, not available worldwide. I also saw this in the theater as a kid. Apparently, I just went to the movies a lot in 88. Showing um, the now? Yeah, you know, I, I've always <laughs> been a movie guy. Um, I This was my first, I think the first time I saw Satire. Uh, I would eventually see Spaceballs, but I know I saw that at, on home video. But I think this was my first like taste of it, and I was already a fan of Weird Al at this point. Um, my aunt introduced me to Weird Al, so I kind of liked the whole idea of like taking things you, you're familiar with and then making fun of them. And I loved Naked Gun as a kid. It's it's been a long time since I've watched them, but I used to watch them a lot in the '90s, like the reruns on HBO and stuff. And I, I liked all three to some degree. Um, but Leslie Nielsen, I mean, come on, he's he's amazing. Leslie Nielsen is an awesome, marvelous comic actor. I, he's his comic timing. I've watched this film fairly recently with my uh, delightful partner. We watched all three of them. And oh, nice. I was just in stitches, and it's just him. The the gags are funny. Everybody, the cast as a whole, are funny. And but Les, Leslie Nielsen was just such a fantastic comic actor, and obviously in things like Airplane as well. He's just brilliant. And this film, the the intro with uh, our man OJ, is such a fun, funny intro. And then you've got the shenanigans of Queen Elizabeth II, which are so oh, yeah. ridiculous. But it's it works. The Priscilla Presley as Jane, the the sex pop with the saxophones and the porn yeah. music, basically playing every time they're yeah. on the screen. It's I could watch this film twice, two, three times a year, and still find it just as funny. And I used to like like that all the time. And I think I think this is one where there's a thing about coffee, and he's like, "I grind my own beans." It's just the, yeah. the way he says it. I, I think it's from this one. It could be from the second one, but um, I actually. Uh, Last year at the Florida Film Festival, David Zucker came and showed Airplane and then did a Q&A afterwards. And I went to that and that was it was really, really cool. Um, you know, and here is another example of that parody film. Um, just man, it's I, I still I feel like it's a lost art because a lot of the parody films now like are straight to VOD and they're like way over the top. And even like the scary movies started falling off and um, they've done the the way ins have done like the haunting like parodies and stuff. I just they haven't been great for a long time, and it's a shame because it's a lost art. I think, uh, even with the exception of Weird Al, I think parody music is like a lost art. You know, like there is something to it if you are talented with it, but it just feels like you know they go for cheap laughs and uh, go for raunchiness rather than for like comedic timing and you know thorough execution. Because Naked Gun isn't like a direct spoof of a single movie; it's just a spoof of the whole genre of like the cops and the lawyers and whatnot. So it's you know, it pulls everything in. And same with Mel Brooks films. Like, yes, Spaceballs is clearly a Star Wars, but it's it pulls in Alien. It pulls in, you know, all aspects from other things. And, it, man, just masterful. But There is an art that goes with satire. It isn't just... Um, like, it's funny that you mentioned the, late, the latter Scary Movie films because uh, Scary Movie 3, 4, and 5 were actually directed by David Zucker. Yeah, um, and Nielsen is, shows up in them. Yeah, which is a shame for him. But... Um, yeah, there there is something clever about a good satire, which isn't just in your face or gross out or OTT. Because, like, yeah, Naked Gun, it spoofed everything to do with with those kind of cop films, not just one particular thing. Um, I love this movie, man. It's this is the sort of film I'd love to see brought back um, yeah. in this kind of guise, though, not in the over the top 
scary movies three, four, and five type thing. Give or me like this kind of stuff. The Meet the Spartans, which was like a three hundred yeah. parody that went straight to VOD, like or well DVD at the time. Yeah, uh, agreed. I, I would love for these type of parodies to. I mean, I think the best one that's been out recently is um, Pop Star. No, no, Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping with the the Lonely Island, where oh, it's I basically never saw that. Oh my goodness! I know dude. off the Lonely Island, but it, it is so good, and it's it's clearly like parodying like all of the, like the Bieber like Never Say Never and that kind of stuff. But man, it's it's super funny. Um, they do go for a little bit of some raunchiness, but it's it's still like. Ah, oh, it's it's great. I, I'm a big Andy Samberg fan. Uh, I I always try to rep him when I can. Never stop, never stopping was um, I when I saw it, it bombed in the theater too. And everyone who I know who has seen it loves it, but it just it didn't get out there. And uh, I I think there were like seven people in my screening of it, and we were all laughing hysterically throughout the movie. It, it's super funny. Um, probably the closest thing I've seen to a solid parody film in a while, but. I'll check that one out then. I've heard of it, and I know of the Lonely Island, but I will, I will, I will check that. And I mean, I, it's raunchiness when done well. It's good. I mean, the Naked Gun cannot. We, are they, that's got it in there. There's a moment where uh, Jane is getting something from the attic, or and uh, Leslie Nielsen just looks it up and he says, "Hey, nice beaver," and yeah. she hands him a stuffed beaver. Yep, yep. <laughs> Which is just ridiculous, but yeah. it works in that kind of tone because it isn't too over the top. Yeah, there's um there's a, a explicit nudity scene in Never Say Never Stop Never Stopping that but it's it's done so shockingly, like it's it's funnier than it is like, oh my god, it's I can't I don't want to say it because I don't want to spoil what happens, but it's super funny. But uh let's let's move on to number seven, which changes tone you know, drastically, uh, drastically, but at the same time, there's still a, an air of comedy to this. This is Die Hard, uh, the best Christmas movie ever made, yeah. um, directed by John McTiernan, uh, starring Bruce Willis, the awesome, amazing Alan Rickman, Alexander, oh boy, Godolov, and Bonnie, but hey boy, uh, Bonnie Bedelia. Um, last names are not my forte. Everybody, eighty-three million. I can stop John horses and surnames. <laughs> Yes, 83 million uh, domestic, 140.7 worldwide. Um, Die Hard. I I am a tragically Bruce Willis fan. I loved his early stuff so much, and um, it really broke my heart when I read Kevin Smith's autobiography to find out that he's kind of become a jerk. And then looking at his career and the problems he's had with like the Expendables franchise, um, it's very clear that that is not just Kevin Smith's experience. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I went into, uh, I, I've, I've forgotten the name of it. What was the movie with, Death uh, Wish. Eli Roth? Death Wish. I went into Death Wish hoping to get an air of old <laughs> Bruce Willis, uh, and walked out feeling like, nope, he's, he still hates acting. Cause he's, he's spat out every line. Um, I'm really hoping he doesn't ruin glass. Uh, I can't, I, I thought about this more <clears throat> than I probably should do because he is, picking up his paychecks gleefully right at the minute, but I can't see the cast around him because he's got, <laughs> I mean, Sam Jackson, James McAvoy, uh, M. Night Shyamalan, and whoever else. Yeah. I can't imagine them being happy to carry Bruce Willis along in a film of this size. Yeah, I hope not. Um, but here is where he becomes the legend of Bruce yeah. Willis, right? Like, this is... 
when you think 80s action stars, you get Schwarzenegger, Stallone, and because of Die Hard, you get Willis. He was and a comedic actor, wasn't he, before? He was. He was in yeah. Moonlighting, um, a TV series, like a, a soap opera-esque like, detective series that I watched with my mom. Um, I, I didn't see Die Hard as a kid. I don't remember when I saw Die Hard for the first time, but I love Bruce Willis. I, I did have an obsession with his uh, early 90s film, Hudson Hawk. Um, I rented it as a kid and I found the humor to be so joyful and, um, I, I still love Cappuccino because of Hudson Hawk. And if you listen to my other podcast, you've heard me talk about it. I made Corey and Mike watch it last year after I beat them in the fantasy draft, uh, last year. Um, I bet they were pleased. Oh, they were not as unhappy as they thought they were going to be because it is, it's not a good movie, but it's a fun movie in my opinion. It's not the Um, worst movie I've ever seen. But Die Hard does something so right. It is... It's, I mean, you have an amazing villain with Alan Rickman. Um, you have a great protagonist. Uh, he's super relatable. He's an everyman. Um, you you get this, you know, trapped in this building. As awesome action, and then you set it at Christmas. So you have this like now, you know, very famous. Everyone calls this a Christmas movie, which I don't think that was the intention when the movie came out. But it's even in there's a book where it's listed as a Christmas film. So you know, if you if you take anything written in a book as truth. There you go. I think it's a Christmas film. I've always thought it was. I think Gremlins is a Christmas film, but Die Hard oh, yeah. is just that sort of quintessential 80s action film. Yep. And it just kicks the big one. God bless Alan Rickman. He's fantastic as Hans Gruber. And he only ever went on onwards and upwards from there. John, Mac- sure. uh, Bruce Willis as John McClane. The two of them were... St- <sighs> They're sort of chalk and cheese as people, I can imagine, but they worked so well together. And an interesting fact was Fox had to actually offer the role of John McClane to Frank Sinatra. Wow. And he turned it down because this is a... It's based on a an old film, I think, or a novel which a film was later adapted in in the 60s, uh, which starred Frank Sinatra. And I think there's some kind of loophole which meant that they had to actually... They were contractually obliged to offer it to Sinatra, but he turned it down. Um, as did Arnold Schwarzenegger, and thankfully they then gave Bruce Willis a call because he embodies that, if you said it yourself, the everyman, he's that action hero which you can think, I don't want to say I could do that because I don't want to get stuck in a tower block full of terrorists, (laughs) but he's not not Superman or anything like that, or he's not a private detective or a highly skilled ex-military, he's just a guy who's just Mm. caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. Just a cop with a determined attitude, you know, like... Yep. Um, if you can dream save it, you can do it. Yeah, it's he's, and then I mean, this obviously spawned several sequels. What do we have? Five now. Um, mm-hmm. and there's debates. I don't really. I've never been able to finish the second one. I liked the third one a little bit, although uh, I think that might have been my as a kid my first introduction to Sam Jackson. And then I like the fourth one because Justin Long is. I find him always to be super funny, and Kevin Smith's in it for like five minutes. And I still haven't watched the fifth one, which I hear is awful. Yeah, I haven't um, traversed the mucky waters of the fifth one yet, but um, I think my first Sam Jackson taste was Exorcist Three. He's got a very small cameo in that. Oh, very very small cameo, but he's he can he's there. Um, I saw Die Hard a long time ago when I was a kid as well, and it's a film I can revisit every time and just get just fun enjoyment out of yep. it. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's completely watchable over and over again. It's it's a little shocking that it's only number seven though. Um. And considering so what, some of the other films, yes. Yeah, and when you see what number six is, especially Crocodile Dundee 2, 
directed by John Cornell, uh, starring Paul Hogan, of course, Linda <laughs> Koloski, or God dang it, John, Kozlowski. I need to do some research into names before, uh, John Melion, 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 there you go, 109, 109 million, man, uh, 239 worldwide, which obviously, um, it has the Australian box office, I imagine, or not, I don't actually know, but I feel like it would. Um, I did not see this movie. I saw the first one. You know what? I might have watched this because I know my grandpa liked these. Um, I remember them being on VHS at our house at some point. I don't have much of a memory of this. Uh, How about you? Did you see Crocodile Dundee 2? Yeah. (laughs) I remember as a kid it was on, because here in the UK and England, it used to just be on what is what we know as ITV, which is Channel 3. It used to be on quite a lot. And if you've seen Crocodile Dundee, Crocodile Dundee 2 is exactly the same. It's just Paul Hogan as Mick Dundee, uh, basically somehow galumphing around fighting crime. This time he's fighting a a, a Colombian drug cartel, because <laughs> why wow. wouldn't he be? It's just manly blokes uh, action, really. The best way to put it is it's just a, a, a bloke's film. He's Australian, and that's how they'd say it. he's just a He's just a bloke who goes out yeah, he called that a knife. This is a knife. Drinks beer, gets the girl, fights people in the most ludicrous ways, and <laughs> goes back to where, wherever back back to the outback or wherever it is he lives. It's it's a ridiculous movie. <laughs> it's, it's it's a terrible movie, and I mean John Cornell. Everything he's ever done literally has had Paul Hogan in it. Oh, um, so he he and Paul Hogan they are their friends, but they're inseparable. <coughs> So it, it, Paul, John Cornell's roll call is literally Crocodile Dundee, Crocodile Dundee Two, and the Paul Hogan Show. Oh yeah, there you go. I can't, I can't believe that it made more money than Die Hard. <laughs> it like, I think it's kind of, I guess it's just that kind of fun because from I mean, Crocodile Dundee, the first one is a, it's, it's much, I say much, but it's better than this one, and that has that kind of novelty, fun. Um, I guess in the eighties, having the Australian actor being very Australian. Yeah. yeah, but it's just a different type of film, and it was quite. But some of it's quite good. So some very quotable lines, like the one I've just mentioned. Which one does he go to New York? Is that the first one? Yes. Okay, so that's the one I remember the most of. And then I, I so I don't know if I saw the second one or not. Um, I know that in How I Met Your Mother, there's a a, a running joke about the third one uh, being good and that it holds up. Um, based on uh, you know, I don't want to get into the show, but that's all I know about the third one, and. I know that uh, just recently, this year, earlier this year, they were there was a Super Bowl commercial that yeah. spoofed a new Crocodile Dundee that was just a, a travel for Australia commercial, but um, or a tourist commercial. Yeah, I've, I heard. I actually never watched the trailer for, it, but I heard it was hilarious with Hemsworth and uh, Danny McBride. Marco Robbie's um, in it. Every every Australian actor is in it. I think Guy Pearce shows up. I think uh, everybody, anybody who's Australian and 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 an actor is in it, and it's <laughs> it is quite fun. To watch, um, I don't think I'd ever want to see it made as a movie, but it's yeah. a good, it's a good advertisement for Australian tourism. Well, next up is another movie I have not seen, a comedy called Twins, directed by Ivan Reitman, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito, Kelly Preston, Chloe Webb, Bonnie Bartlett, Bartlett, and Tony J. Uh, hundred and eleven million, almost one hundred and twelve million, domestic, two hundred and sixteen uh, worldwide. I mean. I remember seeing the trailer for this. Um, Danny DeVito had not freaked me out yet, but after seeing him as the Penguin, I always mm-hmm. have a hard time watching him in anything. I just picture the the teeth and the black bile running down his face. Like I just, he just grossed me out so much as the Penguin that it's hard for me to ever 
you know, take him seriously. And then he's done movies like Screwed. And really, his character in Always Sunny is almost the Penguin. Like, let's be real. He's yeah. about as gross as the Penguin is. And so I had no interest in watching Twins. And I'm not a huge Schwarzenegger fan anyways, and especially not his comedies, um, with the exception of Kindergarten Cop. So, uh, again, I think you suffered through this one as well. I have, I, I, I haven't seen this for an awful long time now, but it's, as you mentioned, it is a comedy. It basically, Danny DeVito, he plays a guy called Vincent, and he's kind of sort of a down-to-earth, streetwise kind of guy. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is highly intelligent in the film, but he's socially inexperienced. You've got streetwise versus inexperienced. They oh. find out they're brothers via, because of some weird experiment to, uh, with like a few other kids, and you've obviously got these two look nothing like each other are related. So that's the big joke when they first meet them. It's like, "My name is Judas, and I'm your twin brother." And Danny DeVito says, oh, "Yeah." The moment I sat down, I thought I was looking into a mirror, and it kind of just plays off that the whole time. Basically, it's. I mean, Ivan Reitman had a lot more success with Ghostbusters. Let's be honest, but yeah, Twins is it's like a quintessentially eighties kind of comedy. It's one I haven't revisited in about twenty years, and I'm probably not going to. But they, I don't know how how much traction this has got. But there is meant to be a sequel to this called yes. Triplets, and it's apparently filming very soon with, with Eddie, Eddie Murphy. Murphy is their, yes. yeah, yes, he's their long lost brother. So I fear the day when that comes out. I can't imagine pulling that off thirty years later, and like with and like realistically. DeVito still has a strong career, but it's, it's, you know, I don't know that it, I don't know this character well enough to know if it would play in with his current persona. Schwarzenegger's career has been up and down as of late. Um, uh, He's done some good ones. I don't know if you saw Maggie, but Maggie's fantastic. And, um, and then, but like Eddie Murphy's career has been way down. Like his Mm -hmm. movies have been, I heard Mr. Church was really good. Haven't seen it, but otherwise... Yeah, but man, that would be crazy to have. I mean, crazier things have happened with sequels, mind you. But thirty years for a movie that I don't know anybody wants. Like, who it's wants a bit like Overboard all over again? Yes, which we went through on the bloody awesome movie podcast, which you can check out on BurkReviews dot com. Yep, and the top four here are strong though, because I think five and six are kind of weird to me. Like they kind of come out of nowhere. Feel like they should have been lower on the list, but I think the top four is pretty strong. Agreed. Uh, we have big. Directed by Penny Marshall, starring Tom Hanks, Elizabeth Perkins, uh, Robert uh, Loggia, and John Hurd. Loggia. Man, I knew I was going to mess that up because I actually know that name. Um, 114, almost 115 million domestic, 152 worldwide. Um, And actually referenced this year in a film uh, with Amy Schumer, uh, I Feel Pretty. There's a reference to Big in that. In fact, you see a a scene from Big in that movie. I, I saw this in the theater. Uh, Tom Hanks is amazing. Um, I think he's America's greatest treasure. And like I, I watched Big a couple years ago. I, I feel like it still holds up. It's it's endearing. It's funny. Um, it's probably one of the best uh, body switch or body change movies. Um, I would argue over like I, I prefer this to the, uh, the what's the Jamie Lee Curtis one? Oh, not Freaky, Freaky, Freaky Fri- Friday? Yeah. Freaky Friday, I know they did a remake with Lindsay Lohan as the kid and Jamie as the mom, but I think the original was also Freaky Friday. So yeah, I prefer Big, but maybe that's just, you know, I'm, I was a boy watching a little boy get to become a man um, and lots of funny jokes. Uh, but yes, um, yeah, I, I love Big. How about you? 
I'm not American. Again, you probably could guess that, but Tom Hanks is a treasure. The man generally can't put a foot wrong. Uh, and in Big, he's just kind of got this sweet, charming naivety to him, which obviously mm-hmm. plays into an awful lot of the jokes. He's a boy in a man's body, and of course, being a man, he has to go to work. He meets girls. So there's a lot of fun to be found there. I I, I love this film. Uh, interesting facts, Penny Marshall, the director, this is the first movie directed by a female to gross over a hundred million bucks. Oh, wow. So it's, uh, it's, it has that claim to fame. Uh, and it's a good movie to have that because it is, a, it is a fun movie. There's an awful lot of good comedy in it. And I, when I was younger, some of it went over my head, but subsequent viewers and I'm old, uh, <laughs> they make more a lot more sense now. But seeing Tom Hanks yeah, playing that boy in a man's body is uh, something that Adam Sandler could probably only dream of. Yeah, for sure. Um, it Big just worked. And like I said, I think it holds up. Um, yeah. Next up on the list is another great comedy, one that I, I have seen recently, I think it, within the last two years, uh, Coming to America, directed by John Landis, uh, which I actually didn't realize, uh, starring Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, James Earl Jones, John Amos, Madge Sinclair, and Sherry Headley. Uh, $128 million domestic, 289 worldwide. I mean, it's such a funny movie. And you get Arsenio and Eddie Murphy at their, I think, maybe their best. Because they play so many different roles in this movie. And they are hilarious, like, in so many scenes. Even uh, McDougal's, the, the knockoff McDonald's. McDowell's. McDowell's. Ah, that's <laughs> yeah, <screwed up>. McDowell's. <laughs> Kills yeah. me, you know? Like, and that he's being sued by McDonald's over it. Like, it's, ah, uh, just love it. Um, and even Louis Anderson, who doesn't get a credit here, but he's got the small part that he works at the the restaurant. And um, I like Louis Anderson quite a bit. So I, Coming to America just cracks me up. There's so many funny scenes, uh, lots of quotable moments. I mean, gosh, it, it's it's uh, it's just a really great 80s film. And I, I, James Earl Jones, anytime I get to hear him talk, I'm usually pretty excited. So Apart from Exorcist 2, which which is probably the worst thing anyone's ever put the film. But I know you're a rom-com fan, and this is, mm-hmm. I guess this is a romantic comedy. Yeah. It is, yeah. And also I know you're a big fan of that. McDowell's also makes me cr- crease up. I, th- I thought this is more slapstick than like full-on comedy. Um, I thought it was actually a bit of a change-up for Eddie Murphy when I watched it. I thought he was slightly pulled back a little bit from his sort of view, from his, you know, out-there kind of comedy. Which is why I think it's one of his stronger films. This is a this is a fantastic movie coming to America. It's, it's funny. There there's a good story going through it. The acting is great. I mean, I actually, saying that Eddie Murphy and John Landis famously fell out during the production, and I'm not sure if they speak to each other. Huh? Apparently, because John Landis directed Eddie Murphy in a film years before when Eddie Murphy was basically a kid, and Eddie Murphy accused John Landis of treating him. As a kid during coming to America, so he'd never kind of ah. realised that Eddie Murphy was now the big star. You don't treat me like a kid, and they 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 actually came to blows during during production. So wow, um, when you watch that film, there is that kind of <laughs> hanging over it. But that aside, this is a good fun movie. Um, one I want to revisit quite soon. And like you say, anything with James Earl Jones physically on screen, just with that voice, is a one up for me. And I'm pretty sure I've heard rumors that they're trying to do a sequel to this movie, too. Yes. Um, so, like, as I, clearly Eddie Murphy's just trying to reignite the fire from his 80s. Uh, he hasn't moved on, has he? I guess not. Which, I mean, when you look at Coming to America compared to, like, um, 
what Beverly Hills Cop and uh, another four, or Forty Eight Hours, another Forty Eight Hours. Like this movie kind of sets his '90s movies, like with Nutty Professor, where he's playing multiple roles. And I feel like there's a couple other films where he does that, where he like takes on all these different personas. Where like those other movies, he was just the one character. Um, so I don't know if maybe this kind of set him up because it was so successful. I mean, it's number three in 1988. Yeah, and if you, I, I, I don't know what the box office is when you when you adjust it for inflation, but 240 odd million or whatever it was. That's a that's a fine total for a, for a for any movie. Especially for a comedy, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's not like what you would normally think of for that type of uh, money. In fact, yeah, I, mean, I guess you'd put it up to about nowadays. What what's that? Maybe three three hundred fifty million dollars, maybe give or take. That's that's a heck of a lot for a comedy. Yeah, it is. Um, our number two is a revolutionary film, one of my all time favorites. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, I always forget Robert Zemeckis directed this too, because yeah. like um, it's so out there. Bob Hoskins, Christopher Lloyd, Charles Fleischer. Uh, Stubby K and Joanna Cassidy, 156 uh, million domestic, 320, uh, 330 wow. worldwide. I mean, this is the only time Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse have been on screen at the same time ever. I think uh, for sure it was the first time. I think it is, yeah. And uh, the the amazing hybrid uh, style of cartoon animation and live action. Um, you get some great performances from Bob Hoskins, Christopher Lloyd's uh, Judge character, Judge Doom freaked me out so yes. much as a kid dude like the eyes and the scream when he got like all high pitch oh haunting and um, his intentions yeah and the dip dude how freaking yeah. traumatic is the dip <laughs> like we watch a cartoon shoe get like freaking you know executed like it's it, it's a daring film and it's you know uh i loved roger abbott for the longest time i actually went um for Disney World's, like, I think it was the 50th birthday or some celebration. They had Regis and Kathy Lee came to Disney World here in Florida. My mom took me out of school. We went to this, like, to be on TV. And it was the first time Roger Rabbit was there as a character. Like, so they had the, the guy in the suit. But it was the first time because the movie was new enough. Um, I think it was, like, probably 89 when this happens. And I was so excited to meet Roger Rabbit because I love Roger Rabbit. <laughs> and uh, it's still – I have it on Blu-ray. I've owned it on DVD. I've owned it on VHS. It is a movie that I think holds up tremendously. It's so innovative. It's so fun. And I, I, I can't – like when I think Zemeckis, I think Back to the Future, which is in my top five movies of all time. I love Back to the Future. And so I, I can't – I have to like drill this into my head that he also did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I mean I know like he did Forrest Gump and he did other movies, but – this movie was such an integral part of my childhood that it's it's awesome seeing it was number two in '88. Yeah, I mean, this was actually sam- sandwiched somewhere in between the Back to the Future trilogy. I think Back to the yeah. Future came out, then this, and then two and three. So in that kind of golden era for Zemeckis, like, but he, then again, he did do Forrest Gump and then Cast Away later on, yeah. and What Lies Beneath, which I think is an underrated horror uh, thriller film. Sorry, what could you say about this film which hasn't been said? I mean. It was revolutionary for its time, absolutely. I mean, this was in post-production for fourteen months because back wow. then you couldn't just CGI a character in; you had to physically draw on the yeah, on the yeah. film and then rotoscope the whole freaking it. thing. That's exactly, it. and it took so long. And I remember hearing somewhere that when uh, dear old Bob Hoskins is throttling Roger Rabbit, he ha- if if he if he moved his hands. Like too much one way or or the other way, it would cost an obscene amount of money for them to digitally draw back, draw in Roger and make the scene work again. So they, the actors were literally having to work with nothing, but still 
not cost the studio millions of dollars just because they've moved one inch to the left or right. So it was a yeah. heck of an effort. And uh, yeah, Judge Doom scared the bejesus out of me as a kid. Yeah, uh, he probably he probably still would now because it's such a macabre, a strange performance by the strange Christopher Lloyd. And I wasn't even putting together, uh, and I know this, but like as I'm talking about it, forgetting that he's Doc Brown, like he's in the yeah. others and X films, and like completely different character in this movie. Um, big eyes, so. Yeah, he does uh, the the crazy eyes, um, the wild scientist with the crazy eyes. Um, That's it. With well, all of the old Looney Tunes characters appear: Bugs, uh, Sylvester, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, Tweety Pie, and like I said, and then you get the Disney characters, and it's just uh, a who's who of animation and. Dude, the dueling pianos with Donald and Daffy oh. is one of my favorite scenes. I love that scene. Um, and of course, the ever confusing Jessica Rabbit for uh, yeah, t- for young boys. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, am I supposed to think cartoons are pretty? I don't know. <laughs> they, well, I think they wanted you to, and especially the controversial <laughs> blue. I think the Blu-ray version had a uh, a slight slip in animation, shall we say, with her character. But yeah, we did even mention Jessica Rabbit, who. Was probably the she 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 out Lara Croft Lara Croft well before she became onto the scene I think yeah for sure and uh, oh man there's so many great moments in that movie the taxi cab the baby um, the the cartoons like the parody cartoons from the you know the time period that the movie set yeah, yeah. in like I mean just it's a brilliant film and I think possibly underrated plus it's a it's a noir film man like it's a it's a uh, noir yeah. animated it's film. It's not, a, it's, yeah, it's, you'd think it's a comedy or something, but it is a, it is a sort of straight up investigative film. It's, a, it's odd to think of now, but Eddie Valiant, who is Bob Hoskins' character, Harrison Ford was the first choice, but wow. even, even even back then he was too expensive for, the, for them. And, and and your man missed out on the film. You're going to get who I'm in a minute because he didn't check his voicemail. Bill Murray was offered the role. Oh, oh. he didn't check his voicemail, so he missed out on the role. So, dude. I don't know if I would like that or not. Like, I love Bill Murray. I don't know if I could see him doing... The, I mean, he would. it would be a very different movie. It'd be much different, yeah. Bob Brilliant. Hoskins, God rest his soul. Bob, Bob Hoskins, he's just... I know, again, it's so easy to say things in hindsight with the with the beauty of decades in front of us, but Bob Hoskins is just perfect for that role. He really is. Like, he just... He's got enough of the cynicism and the uh, hostility, but also, yes. like, when, when he gets silly, I buy it. You know, I believe every moment of it, like, later in the film and... Ah man, and some of the musical numbers in this movie are great. Like, it, uh, I could talk a whole episode on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I, I need to rewatch it. I, I love that movie still. I, I, I don't think it's appreciated enough. So. I feel a Who Framed Roger Rabbit episode coming on soon because I want to rewatch it as well because oh. there's so much to pick out. And it, it's so easy to forget just how revolutionary this film was because in today's day and age, when you can create anything you want, use your imagination to create anything. This was a. This was only thirty years ago, but it was a completely different era of filmmaking. And yeah, how how like you say, it still holds up to this day. And I only imagine the Blu-ray just looks incredible. Yeah, this is before CG. This is all hand drawn, and it's yeah. it's crazy. Um, and before we get into our number one, I I think the other thing that we should point out, um, what's the movie with Melissa McCarthy and the Muppets? Happy Time Murders. Yeah, that seems like an R-rated Who Framed Roger Rabbit almost. The way they're they're marketing it because it's a yeah, detective like a story. Type film, yeah, yeah, hybrid puppets and uh, people instead of or Muppets, I guess, instead of um, the animation. But like, it's definitely got a similar, obviously different tone because that is an adult <laughs> film. But uh, yeah, just I wonder if if they were, Roger Rabbit was any kind of inspiration for that story, but. Possibly, I don't think it'll be the second highest grosser film of this year. No, but, um, no, not yeah, at all. Yeah, that's a good point because 
going off onto that, it, that, that is a well, the whole thing's a detective. It's about the murder, someone's murdering Muppets. Yeah. Um, and Melissa McCarthy has to sort it. So maybe they did. I mean, why wouldn't you want to take inspiration or 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 t- tip your hat to a film like Who Framed Roger Rabbit? For real. All right. Well, that leads us to the number one from '88 is Rain Man, uh, directed by Barry Levinson, starring the awesome, amazing Dustin Hoffman, Tom Cruise, and Valerie Galino. Uh, 173 million domestic and 355 worldwide. Um, I saw this as a kid. I think I, I've definitely seen it a couple of times since then, but it, I don't think I've watched it as an adult. But I, the movie has stuck with me for all these years. I've remembered so many of the lines. It's been quoted and referenced in tons of other things. I don't. I definitely didn't understand it exactly when I saw it the first time. I, I have a better grasp of the story and stuff now, but. Um, even as a kid, I was, I was awed by this movie, you know, and I didn't know who Dustin Hoffman was when I saw this. I'm pretty sure it was the first Dustin Hoffman film I had seen at like six years old, but yeah, I, I know that it holds up and Hoffman, man, I've been watching a lot of his older stuff and I'm just blown away at how great of an actor he is. Yeah. If you put in aside any real yeah. world issues that are going Unfortunately, on, yeah. Hoffman as an actor is is undeniably a superb actor and I mean this film showed that and he got the recognition he deserved he's fantastic in this film and he has a really touching relationship with with Tom Cruise who's kind of the brash brother to um, Dustin Hoffman's he's a savant he's an autistic savant Um, and the two of them are thrust together when their late father's inheritance falls into the hands of Dustin Hoffman's character and that's what kind of brings them together because Tom Cruise hasn't got a uh Hasn't got much to his name apart from the old car which his father left him in the will. But the two of them together work so well. And like you say, it's so quotable. Kmart will never look be the same after this. It gets. Nope. I wonder how many people have gone to Cincinnati to buy their boxes from the Kmart there just for Dustin Hoffman. It also reminded me to put the maple syrup on the table before the pancakes. Yeah. And uh, Wapner. You know, you got to watch people's court, right? Like it is. (laughs) Yeah. There's just so many little quotable things. And then the scene, even like when they're going to the casino and uh, they're coming down the escalator, which was recreated in The Hangover and I'm sure dozens of other films since then. You know, it's just super memorable stuff from that movie. And I definitely I've been meaning to rewatch it. I bought it not long ago on DVD um, and I just haven't gotten back to it because, you know, I've seen it. So it's not a priority to watch over something I haven't seen. But it is a movie that I know I would appreciate more as an adult, even though, again, I know so much about it. But I, I, I would like to sit and rewatch it. Yeah, I, I, I saw it a good few years ago now, but it holds up because it's just a very, it's just such a good story. It's so well acted. It's a, it's it's funny as well. It's a very funny film. There is humor time, in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, there's, and there's it works. Some, some serious dramatic moments too. Uh, the bathtub yeah, sequence course, yeah. is real tough, but um, yeah, it's it's crazy how movies like this can like stick with you too. Because like I I was six when I saw this and. I still remember so much of it from that first thing. And I know I've seen it again, like on TV and stuff over the years, but I, I feel like like the memory I have is on the big screen. So like, I, it's just there, but that is our, uh, the top 10 though from 1988. So yeah, as a, as a top 10, it's, it started off well with Beetlejuice and then it kind of had a, between numbers nine and four, it was a bit iffy. Should we say we had things like Die Hard up against Twins, uh, The Naked Gun against Crocodile Dundee. Uh, but then we've got things like Big, Coming to America, The Marvelous Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and The Majestic Rain Man. So it's that I, I think the top four are deserving. 
but it's good to see Beetlejuice in there. It's fantastic to see the Naked Gun in there as well. So for the top ten, that's not bad overall, I'd say. Yeah, no, I I would say it's pretty solid. I mean, Die Hard's won the uh, the long race, I think, over Twins and Crocodile Dundee. Like, still a very <laughs> relevant movie. People still talk about it. Um, I'd say they probably talk about it more now than uh, when it came out, given you know its uh, cult nature of Christmas movies. But but that that's of course that's only ten movies that came out in eighty eight. Yeah, I mean, blanket question: Were there any other movies that you enjoyed or you could think of that you or even disliked? There are uh, several, and uh, it's great kind of looking back because I I'm not good with dates. Like history was always a subject that messed with my brain especially when we had memorized dates but movie dates stick with me once i learn them usually or at least in the ballpark and so looking uh what some of these are there's some really big movies that um have stuck with me for years uh but then there's some fun ones that i've recently watched like i recently watched killer clowns from outer space um this past october and that came out in 88 and uh it's it's fun it's a really it's a b-horror movie but man it is fun um and then uh, one that I love and uh, people quote all the time. I came here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, yeah. but I'm all out of bubblegum from They Live, John Carpenter's They Live with Roddy Piper came out in 88. And I, I still love that movie. Um, and honestly, I'm not a, I like some Westerns. I'm not like, I don't feel like I've seen enough Westerns, but one of the first Westerns I remember seeing was Young Guns. And, you know, it's got Emilio Estevez and Kiefer Sutherland, Lou Diamond Phillips, Charlie Sheen. I, I still have like a, I haven't watched it in years, but I still have like a fondness for the movie um, from when I saw it as a kid, even the the sequel, which is, you know, questionable always. There's a few other movies, but I feel like you might be talking about some of them, too. So, like, uh, what about you? What movies from 88 that we haven't talked about stand out? Well, for, for one of the worst films of all time was released this year, Caddyshack 2, uh, which is absolute abomination, which is strange because Caddyshack, the first one, was actually very good. Yeah. Howard Ramos really working they was involved in Caddyshack 2 but Caddyshack 2 is absolutely abysmal uh, Child's Play came out this year and awesome. it spawned about the beginning of Brad Dorff's big adventure and the start of a not all that good franchise but the first Child's well the first few Child's Play and yeah, I'd were, were decent couple. I had yeah. the uh, My Buddy doll man and so when this movie came out I, no I was I was freaked out pretty hard and it was, it would be a few years before I would finally see it, but I ended up being a huge fan of the original three. After that, I, I've totally lost interest. I haven't seen any really since the third one, but, uh, I, I think I tried the Bride of Chucky and I just, I, it got too silly. Um, the first one's horrifying still though. Yeah. The first one is straight up horror. And then since then they've kind of devolved more into the Nightmare on Elm Street type of... I was, of... was going to say the same thing. Yeah, exactly. The yeah. Humor over horror. Yeah, and it doesn't work. Nightmare on Elm Street 4 was actually released this year as well, which followed on from the I'm actually sure. very good Dream Warriors, but this Nightmare on Elm Street 4, was that that, that was not a good film. Yeah, um, Bloodsport was a movie that as a kid in the 90s, like I watched so much. I had that in Kickboxer on constant rewatch. Like I was like so into martial arts, and for some reason uh, Van Damme and his splits were just like my favorite thing <laughs> ever. And I would I watch Bloodsport so many times, um, and it came out in '88, so that's kind of cool. I didn't realize how old it was. Yes, another one of those '80s uh, action stars, Jean Claude Van Damme, who was a uh, when we uh, I'm sure one of the other '80s shows we do, 
he's going to crop up again because he, he had a yeah. slew of films from those times. For me, there's a couple of great international films that came out. Cinema Paradiso was an Italian film. Uh, Giuseppe Tornatori uh, came out of that. And I really, really, really enjoy that film. If anyone hasn't seen it, I would recommend it. That's on my gap list, yeah. It's basically a film which is about the love of film. But it's done in such a great... It's also got an Ennio Morricone score, so you know it's going to sound good as well. Um, and a French film, Chocolat, which is probably familiar to some people, but this particular one, uh, Claire Denis directed it. It's just a it's a story of a young woman, Mireille Perrier stars. She was reflecting on her youth, which is one of privilege and ignorance, and she bonds with an African servant. Um, and, she's, and it's all about the sort of racial and social tensions that are going on around her. Is the... So, uh... The uh, Johnny Depp Chocolat, a remake of this movie? No. Okay. Which is also a good film. But this this particular one is, it has a kind of European filmmaking flair to it, and it's very good. But yeah, I think Dirty, Yoda directed a film. The great Yoda, Frank Oz himself with yep. uh, Dirty Ron Scoundrels. What a cast. Steve Martin and Michael Caine. Michael Caine dueling awesome. against each other. I have not seen Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and that has been on my uh, comedy must-watch list for a while now. I definitely need to check this one out. It's, yeah, it's basically those two guys are, well, they are Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and they're literally having to face off against each other to uh, to swindle the next person who comes in, and they, ha- they have an ongoing, duel, uh, ongoing w- w- feud sorry, during the film, which is, uh, it holds up again. I think it, I know Frank Oz himself is extremely proud of that, and so he should be, but Anything else you've seen from 1988 which you want to throw out there? Well, we got to talk about Heathers, right? Because Heathers yeah. has had a huge resurgence in the last couple of years. Um, kids are latching on to it. Like, my daughter loves this movie, uh, directed by Michael Lehman. And then Winona Ryder and Christian Slater, super dark comedy, right? Uh, excessively dark comedy um, that deals with, you know, like murder and a high school. And, um, yeah, it had a, a TV show that was been canceled. Um, that was on the Paramount Network, uh, which Paramount has been struggling all year. But yeah, and it had a as a musical out. I think on Broadway right now too. So Heather's has had like a resurgence, and it came out in '88. So definitely one to mention. Um, I think The Land Before Time is worthy of oh, uh, discussion. Yes. The I, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but it has spawned countless sequels like i think there's like 12 sequels that are all like straight to vod or dvd vhs depending on when it came out uh you man i have not seen this movie but it's it's got to be mentioned because i've heard so much about martin scorsese's the last temptation of christ i i've been meaning to watch this i just know it's going to be like a super challenging watch so i've not brought myself to do it did you Uh, did you see silence that came out recently i did i actually took my daughter to see silence and was impressed with how she handled that movie. Yeah, that was a film. I, on reflection, and my review will say the same thing. I I liked the film, but bloody hell, do you have, you you earn the end credits because it is a heck of a slog. Um, Last Temptation of Christ isn't quite as silence at times does feel like you are literally on that journey yourself. Last Temptation of Christ is isn't quite as heavy as Silence, which better me got William the William the Foe is Jesus, which just sounds right. You got Harvey Keitel, David Bowie's in it, Barbara Hershey. It's a great film, you know. Jesus is tempted by visions of an ordinary life, which in itself is a kind of a baffling concept to put your head round. But yeah, yeah, go check that out. Land Before Time. Now that film for me is I watched that as a child, 
and I've got such wonderful memories of watching that yep. growing up when I was when it came out. How old was I? It came out in the UK a few months later, so I think I was about four when it came out, and I I used to love dinosaurs anyway. Me too. But I just remember having what checking that film out and having it on VHS and the Petrie and Littlefoot and Ducky the characters and having to go and face off against Sharp Tooth. And of course, one yep. of the parents dies because it wouldn't be a kids' film. But things like Ducky singing uh, "Don't step on a crack because you fall and break your back." I still say that now, and I'm <laughs> in my thirties, and I still say that line went to anyone who's willing to listen. So, Last Land Before Time is a film that I hold very dear to my heart because it reminds me of just being a kid again. And Heather's, is, yeah, he has got a resurgence, and um, it was recently compared with Thoroughbreds, which came out recently. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's a more of a tenuous connection to be honest but for sure no, I, was, I was gonna say heathers i think is a little more comedic uh yeah. with the message than thoroughbreds i think there's some humor in thoroughbreds but not nearly as much as heathers a lot of what happens in heathers especially slater is super channeling jack nicholson in that which he's always mm-hmm. been compared to but i feel like that's his biggest nicholson like impersonation with maybe true uh true romance being the only other like where he's like just being nicholson but there's some scenes in this in heathers where it's so big and silly uh Super, super funny at times, but sorry. Yeah, uh, that's no, yeah, no worries. Thoroughbreds is more straight up, whereas Heather's kind of was more self-aware and didn't take a silly. Yeah, yeah, how you said it was right. It, there's moments which are bigger and sillier. Yes, uh, Christian Slater as JD, he's kind of just goes mental. Uh, he's not quite Jack Nicholson in The Shining, but he is channeling yeah, his inner yeah, Jack. For sure. This is also the, the year when what was actually quite a good arcade game, I remember pumping my pennies into arcade machines to play Moonwalker. Oh, yeah. The uh, Michael Jackson movie, which is basically one long music video, but the arcade game was good. I also like the arcade game. I actually really love the arcade game. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Smooth yeah. Criminal top area, yeah. Dude, Smooth, uh, Alien Ant Farm's cover of Smooth Criminal 2, I'm sorry, it's just fantastic, but... I remember, but I've got that on CD single all those years ago. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Richard Donner's Scrooge was still a Christmas movie that I try to watch every couple of years. Um, because you mentioned my my fandom of Bill Murray, yeah. um, and Bobcat Goldthwait. I I can't. I, I mean, I was a Police Academy fan when I was a kid, and so Except that was my that. first introduction of Bobcat. And so, which you know, he's a like a solid director now. I don't know if yeah, you've yeah. seen any of his stuff, but man, um, a fantastic name as well. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but Scrooge is a uh, another Christmas movie from the '88. So you have Die Hard and Scrooge that to me are annual type Christmas films, and then. Uh, Ron Howard, Willow, man, you know, Val Kilmer, Warwick Davis, uh, the great Warwick Davis, who even yep. shows up in uh, Solo, uh, the Star Wars story. You know, I uh, I loved Willow as a kid. I think I even had the Nintendo game, like, which wasn't good, but I had it, you know. It was um, no Moonwalker. No, it was not. Uh, but yeah, um, 88, man, had some really good stuff. And there's other movies we could talk about, but those are, I think, the big ones that I feel like I still have a connection to in some capacity. Yeah, I mean, Willow Willow actually brought CGI into modern cinema. There's a scene in it where Willow is performing some magic on Finn, uh, and that's pretty much the first solid use of CGI, and of course George Lucas was involved somewhere in that, of course. Yeah. But that, you know, that was a... And then obviously that was then used in Indiana Jones, I think Raiders of the Lost Ark, or Temple of Doom, whichever one it was, that came after... So subsequent films actually adopted that practice from Willow, which has now obviously become the norm. So um, mm-hmm. that was an interesting interesting fact. And it's good to see Ron Howard's name on the list. Pumpkinhead was released as well. 
Lance Henriksen in another. I mentioned that because I bought that on DVD uh, a few oh. years ago. It was, it was about two pounds or three bucks in uh, in, the, in the in the movie store here. So I picked it up and thought I'll give it another watch. And it, it's plainly ridiculous, but I'm a sucker for Halloween and that kind of time. The kind oh. of I guess for you guys it's fall or autumn over here. It's my favourite time of the year. So anything that takes me back there, it's not as good as Trick or Treat, but Pumpkinhead oh. is a is a fun solid horror film. But yeah, I think they they're the kind of top films that came out of that year there was a, a sequel to short circuit another poltergeist film friday the 13th mist. and halloween both had sequels yeah uh, yeah gorillas in the mist was that a fish called wanda oh i didn't see the fish called wanda on here yeah there it is yeah there's a cocoon there was a sequel to cocoon which i can't believe because i remember seeing cocoon and i'm like how is there a sequel already at 88 because i must have saw cocoon when i was like four like so that kind of blew my mind um or maybe I saw Cocoon on video like later or something, but I know I was a kid when I saw it because I was just like, why do I, am I watching a movie about old people? But, you know. <laughs> the, the, the mind of a child. Exactly. Akira came out this year as well at that, in, in 1988. Uh, Katsuhiro Otomo's, yeah. I've not seen, man, and that's one I know I need to watch. Um, this, this is a good, that is a, a good film. I highly recommend Akira. Yeah, that's one I'm definitely going to have to check out. Um, and there's a bunch, I mean, the uh, Dangerous Liaisons I'm familiar with. Uh, we didn't mention The Fox and the Hound, which is a beloved classic yes. for many um, kids. You know, I, I liked it as a kid. I It looks older to me than 88. Like, I wouldn't have thought it was an 88 movie. It's um, about the 50s. <laughs> yeah, right? Because it, it reminds me of, like, the old Robin Hood movie, which is, yeah, yeah. like, from the 50s or 60s. That I is think, from so. the 50s, yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know uh, why they went with that animation style, but um, obviously it worked because people love it. But I, I always thought it was older, actually, so... Uh, surprised to see that on this list. And then, yeah, and Tequila Sunrise, um, you know, one of Mel Gibson's early action movies with Kurt Russell and Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, oh, Raw Julia is in that movie? Raw Julia is in as well, yeah. Oh, Gomez Adams himself. Uh, I love I love those Adams Family movies, man. Um, that first one especially. For real. But yeah, that's notable releases. Um, I think from... we've covered quite a lot of the, the top films. I mean, there may be more films out there that we haven't mentioned. For sure. anything we've missed off that you anyone out there enjoys, chuck us a line and tell us what we've missed because it's clear that there's an awful lot of films from this year, good and bad, that warrant a discussion. But on that note, how many of these movies took home the Golden Oscar? Did Caddyshack win any Oscars or did they leave it to the proper movies? It looks like they left Caddyshack off. We're going to look at the uh, the big the big awards from that year. So Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting of those two as well. Um, what should we do? Should we start with the uh, act, supporting actor and actress? Work yeah. our way up. So, best supporting actress for uh, a movie we haven't mentioned, The Accidental Tourist, uh, Gina Davis. Which I feel like she should have won for Beetlejuice, but you know, I'm glad she got some some recognition for that. I like Gina Davis as an actress. She still she still pumps out good material now, and she was she had a league of their own coming out quite soon after this, so uh. it was a good time for her. I think she's a great actress. Yeah, oh, I agree. And I just watched Tootsie uh, earlier this week, I think, yeah. or maybe it was last week. And um, she's in it, but like she's basically in it to just be in her bra and underwear while uh, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman is in like the Tootsie. Well, his name's not Tootsie, but Dorothy's like dress and whatnot, so he can be uncomfortable. And I'm just like, wow, that's crazy that this woman will become such like a big name actress. Plus, she's in uh, Beetlejuice, and I think she's in Earth Girls Are Easy the same year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's a busy year for her too, um, kind of all over the place. She's in the recent Exorcist TV series as well, 
which was great to see her pop up in that, and uh, she had one of the one of the moments, the only moments in TV where I literally mouthed what the f when the revelation came. But good ah. to see Gina Davis still still working. Uh, she was also in uh, she was in a film last year with uh, Tim Robbins, just uh, Marjorie Prime. If yeah, oh, that, that I was, did see it. I did. Yeah, yeah. good. John Ham, solid. John Ham. Yeah, John Ham was the AI AI but a human. Yeah, a really, really interesting movie. Um, yeah, very stagey, but very solid. Uh, best supporting actor uh, was Kevin Klein for A Fish Called Wanda, which I I feel like I've seen that, but I I don't know for sure. Best actress Jodie Foster for The Accused. Love Jodie Foster. I haven't seen The Accused though, but I, I'm a huge Jodie Foster fan. I'm I've looking seen forward. The accused either. Hotel Artemis this week uh, here in the States with, yes. with her. Obviously, I would imagine very different in the film than The Accused. Uh, best Actor, Dustin Hoffman for Rain Man. In fact, we're going to see no arguments. a lot of Rain Man here. Uh, best Director, Barry Levinson for Rain Man. And the Best Picture from 1988, Rain Man. Um, definitely, definitely Rain Man. Do you, I was going to ask the possibly silly question, but do you agree with that Best Picture in, in a year where Cocktail came out, where Cocoon the Return came out, and Big Top Peewee. Do you, do you agree with Brain Man taking that prize? Yeah, from what we looked at, I don't really see anything else I would think of as like a prestige. I, I would wonder if Gorillas in the Mist, uh, that's what it that's what it was called, right? Um, yeah, I would imagine that was in high competition for it, because I remember like everyone really being hyped up on that film, and uh, Sigourney Weaver getting you know a really good dramatic performance in that movie. Um, and I'm, you know, a little surprised not to see her as best actress even, but, uh, maybe in my head that movie's just more prestigious than it was, but. I think she won the Golden Globe actually for best actress. So she did get some recognition for that. Yeah, I is. guess the last temptation of Christ could have been, yeah. could have been in the same, because it's, it's that kind of film, which the, the Academy now obviously would. Yeah. But then saying that they completely ignored silence. So maybe it was different back then, but. Well, yeah, Scorsese guess... has always been kind of like. Like when he finally won, it was kind of like oh, about time, you know. So because yeah, yeah. it was, he won for the Departed, right? That was Departed, yes. Finally. So I mean, yeah, finally. I mean, look at his his repertoire before that. So not surprised that Last Temptation didn't win. But yeah, Rayman. I mean, it's difficult subject matter. It does have some an air of like levity to it that you can laugh at moments, and then uh, the connection and and obviously the performance from Hoffman probably uh, sells it. You know, like as the as the number one. It's probably um, his best performance. Oh, that's so hard to say, though. Dude. It is hard, but it's certainly up there in the top three, at least. I mean, you got Kramer versus Kramer, um, where I think is the most normal performance for him, like where he's just like a guy. But I love that movie. Um, the Graduate is, you know, such a challenging role. And then Tootsie. I mean, Tootsie's a comedy, but man, he's like transformative when he t- puts on the, the wig and stuff. Like he, he's like a it's like watching a different actor. Um I noticed you didn't mention Meet the Fuckers. I am not a fan of the Meet the Parents <laughs> movies. <laughs> he was in the Mayorit stories last year with Adam Sandler. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Ben Stiller. And that film was, I thought that film was bloody marvellous. But yeah. he was very good in that as the crotchety old dad. Agreed completely. Uh, and Noah Baumbach uh, directing. And, yes. Yeah, um, totally, totally liked that movie. Really tough uh, moments in that film. And he is so frustrating in that movie. But great yes. performance. Um for sure. Actually, one of Sandler's best movies in years uh, for Meyerowitz. Like, his performance in that is 
it just shows that he can act if he's given good material. There was whispers that he could have been up for a for an Oscar for best actor, and I think he was fantastic in it. And he was in my top twenty performances of the top ten twenty performances of the year for that film. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But going from uh, from the good to the absolutely awful, now called the Razzies. Back then, it was the Golden Raspberry Awards. Oh, okay. So, uh, That's fun. What I didn't was really... the Hall of Shame? Um, let's go, we'll just start at the top and work our way down, I think, on this one. So, Worst Picture was the movie that you keep saying is so great, Cocktail. Uh, <laughs> I hope you're not offended that it's the worst picture, but... I'm going to go and set up a hashtag not my Razzies thing now. <laughs> I've had enough. Uh, worst Actor, Sylvester Stallone, Rambo 3. That's funny to me that he got, like, because, I mean, he's just being Rambo, right? Like, I, I don't... I know Rambo 3 is not good, but is it any different? involved, yeah. Yeah, like, it's got to be the same performance he's done in the other two movies, but yeah. um, just cheesier subject matter, I'm sure. But uh, worst actress, Liza Minnelli, for Arthur 2 on the rocks in Rent-A-Cop? What the crap? Oh, is that a movie? I can't say I've seen that. <laughs> um, worst supporting actor, Dan Aykroyd, Caddyshack 2. Isn't he playing the Bill Murray role from Caddyshack? Yeah. 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 Just, and it's bloody awful. Yeah, that's a nightmare. Because um, Bill Murray's so good in Caddyshack. Chrissy McNichol for Worst Actress for uh, Two Moon Junction. Um, a lot of movies we haven't even talked about. Um, worst Director, Blake Edwards for Sunset and Stuart Raffle and for Mac and Me. Oh, it's a tie. There's two. I'm sorry. So Blake Edwards right. for Sunset and Stuart Raffle for Mac and Me. Worst Screenplay, Cocktail. Uh, <laughs> and then Worst New Star, Ronald McDonald as himself in Mac and Me. <laughs> That's mean. And <laughs> Worst Original <laughs> Song, Jack Fresh from Caddyshack 2, written and performed by Full Force. Oh, yeah, Ronald McDonald. What's he ever done wrong? He's just a nice clown. He, yeah, back in the eighties and the and the early nineties, McDonald's was heaven for me when I was a kid. It was a treat, and to think that Ronald McDonald actually had a Razzie on his uh, mantelpiece upsets me somewhat. Yeah, um, that's so. I, you got to wonder did did he get it or did like the corporation like did Ed Kroc get the uh, the Razzie for that? Because you know, I'd like to think a bloke dressed up as Ronald McDonald went to get that. Oh man! So the next thing we're going to talk about, I want to I want to preface something. Um, you know, we've mentioned my age a few times. I was born in 1982, <laughs> so I was six years old when 1988 happened. And one thing that I've, uh, as I'm getting older, that becomes harder and harder for me to deal with, is the revelation that people I look up to are younger than me. Um, the, the most recent instant of it was, uh, I was looking at, um, Emily Blunt's IMDb and noticed she was born a year after me and it, it hurt inside. Like, cause I, I always, <laughs> I think of her as like someone to aspire to be. I'm like, I am older than her. And this next segment is going to crush me. I think as I realize how many people I look up to as like, and it, I mean, you can look up to people who are younger than you for sure, but I know that as I've gotten older, sports have become less and less appealing to me. And I think it's because I'm realizing that these people are making so much money and they are so much younger than me. That side, that part absolutely irks me to know that somebody 10 years younger than me is financially stable for the rest of their life. As long as they're not stupid with their money and they will be. And that's what frustrates me more. (laughs) Like Just because they shoot hoops or or kick a soccer ball or, or whatever they may do or play my... And I love NHL, but man, they get paid a lot of money. Yeah. As is natural, nature and existence came into play during 1988. Uh, and some fabulous actors and actresses were born this year. So we've got a list of kind of the the, the top actors who came into the world during the year. So, uh, JB, if you take it away for the first six months of the year, please. Yeah. Um. 
So in January, we have uh, Haley Benet, who is a singer from The Magnificent Seven, The Girl on the Train. That was in January. February, we have Rihanna, uh, you know, as a singer-songwriter, and she'll be starring in this week's Ocean's 8 here in the States. I don't know for sure when Ocean's 8 come out for you. It comes out, it may already be out today. Oh, okay. But it definitely, if not, it's definitely coming out next it's, week. So it's here uh, Friday for us. Um, well, Thursday night, technically. Um, in March, we have uh, Stephen Curry, basketball player. Uh, again, this is what I'm talking about. Um, two times NBA champion, five-time All-Star, <laughs> possibly the greatest shooter ever. Um, April, Haley Joel Osmet. He saw dead people then. <laughs> and uh, Allison Williams, who was in Get Out. Obviously, I'm sorry, Haley Joel Osmet. I made a Sixth Sense joke. I assumed everyone would know it, but just in case, he's most famous for Sixth Sense. Although, <laughs> uh, he also stars in Kevin Smith's horror film Tusk. If you haven't seen with Justin Long, who I mentioned earlier in the episode, um, I didn't know. Yeah, that. Uh, he he shows up there, um, and he he's in a couple of other movies. There's a movie I think Sex Ed that he's done recently. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, Tusk. If if you haven't seen it, man, it's it's out there. It's crazy, but it's I I enjoy it. It's not. I'm not saying it's good, but I like it. Um, and I don't like everything Kevin Smith does. I absolutely hate yoga hosers. Can't stand them. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, but June. Uh, one of my favorite actors, Michael Sarah, is born, who will then be in my favorite movie of all time, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, including Superbad and Juno, which I, I am way up on Juno, a little down on Superbad. I liked it the first time. I don't think it holds up as much. Um, and then, interestingly enough, Mae Whitman, also born in June of 88, and is also in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. So that's kind of a fun little kawinky dink that their birthdays are two days apart. Um, and she's in Independence Day as well. Yeah, well, there's some good films there. Scott, I know you're a big, 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 big fan of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, so yep. uh, I thought you'd pick up on those two being in the film together. And Juno is a film which I want to revisit again soon because I loved it when it came out. So, in August, most famous for being Bruce Willis's daughter, Rumor Willis was born. She was also in Sorority and Striptease, but you may not remember that. Ron Weasley, Rupert Grint was born. I was obviously best known for his role in the Harry Potter saga. Yep. Uh, Academy Award-winning Alicia Vikander was born in October oh, yes. from the Danish girl, Ex Machina, and recently Tomb Raider. November, two days after me, I was born, but three years after me, so she is younger than me and more successful. <laughs> Emma Stone, the wonderful Emma Stone from La La Land, Crazy Stupid Love, Zombie Land, Battle of the Sexes. I, I uh, want to point out uh, Emma Stone movie that I think, two, two Emma Stone movies that I feel like get overlooked. Easy A. Which her first that kind of breakthrough, yeah, it? and I, that's a really good movie. But um, I actually yeah. remember her. The first time I remember Emma Stone was from Rock, uh, The Rocker, with Rain Wilson and Teddy Geiger and Josh Gad before Josh Gad was uh, Olaf. Oh, and wow. you know, I'm a fan of like rock, like movies about bands. I I yeah. really really like The Rocker. Uh, the music's really catchy and and fun. Um, Rain Wilson, obviously Dwight from The Office, The American Office. Um, I just I feel like no one knows that movie, and I it's it's really good. And you get you get very uh, sarcastic, almost Daria inspired Emma Stone um, in that movie, and I, I really liked her there. And uh, she it's very much the character she plays in Zombieland. I think um, comes from the rocker, and I, I like her diversity because you can put her in La La Land, and then put her in Zombieland, and then she can play Billie Jean King in Battle of the Sexes. Yeah, she's a very diverse actress. She is very deserving of her of her Academy Award and. La La Land's one of my top 20 films, probably of all time. I think it's that good. But yes, she is three years younger than me and will be eternally more successful. So good one, Emma. Uh, A couple of days later, Nikki Blonsky from Hairspray was born. And then moving into December, so the Christmas time babies, Zoe Kravitz 
Oh, good God, what's her dad's name? Uh, Len- Lenny. Lenny yeah. Kravitz. Lenny Kravitz, yes, right. How can I forget that? Sorry, Kravitz, she starred in Rough Night last year. I think that's one of the only people who actually enjoyed that film. She was. Uh, she's also in Fantastic Beasts, Mad Max Fury Road. Another Harry Potter alumni. Alfred Enoch was born. And then 14th of December, towards the end of the year, from High School Musical, the underrated Spring Breakers and Sucker Punch, Vanessa Hudgens was born. Some good, some good talent. Yeah, there. um... Who is Alfred Enoch in uh, Harry Potter? Very good question. Uh, if you keep talking, yes. I'll find okay, out. Okay, sorry. Put <laughs> <laughs> you on the spot. Um, so if we're going to look at the births of the year, we also have to look at the sad, who did we lose in 1988? And it, it's a sad thing to look back. At. And luckily for this year, there aren't uh, too many names on our list of celebrities here. But um, we lost Heather O'Rourke at age 12. That's a tragedy. Um, actress yeah. from Poltergeist, Poltergeist to the other side. We lost Kenneth Williams at age 62. Actor and writer, uh, most notable for Carry On, Up the Kyber, and Carry On Camping. And then John Carradine, 82. What a life. Uh, I hope I get to live to 82. Um, actor, stagecoach, The Grapes of Wrath. Uh, those are our three notable deaths from 1988. Yeah, it's not always nice to talk about, but yeah, I mean, Heather O'Rourke was 12 years old. Fortunately, she passed in very sad circumstances, a misdiagnosed issue with her. Uh, 12 years old, man. Kenneth Williams is a, he's an absolute British staple. They carry on films. So ah. He's in about 26 out of 30 of them. Wow. So he's very, he's later went on to become a poet. But Kenneth Williams is sort of quintessentially sort of 50s and 60s British actor. But yeah, John Carradine starred in the, in the fantastic Greats of Wrath and also in the Ten Commandments. But, um, so yeah, that's always, it's always sad to cover, but. Nature will take its course, and with the births, there'll always be departures as well. Some talent left us, and some talent joined us. And in terms of who was Alfred Enoch, he played, obviously, he played Dean Thomas in Harry Potter. I mean, you remember Dean Thomas, surely? Yeah, sure, of course. I'm, I, yeah, he's that, you know, Dino. I can totally picture who Dean Thomas is right now. I'm sure he's from one of the houses, and... Yeah, <laughs> I think he's in pretty much... Every film as well. Yeah, I, I feel like I do know who he is, but at the same time, he's definitely one of like the L level characters. You know, <laughs> like he's way down on the list. <laughs> yeah. um, I recognize him from the films, so and now I've seen him. I recognize him. Okay. Well, there you go. Good, good for yeah. you, Enoch, for being born and getting to be a part of that <laughs> yeah. franchise. Because, um, good lord, even as a you know seventeenth, you probably have made more money in your lifetime than I will see uh, in mine. So. Yeah, even though I couldn't remember yes. who you were yes. or who you played, you've uh, you've still you've done a lot better than me. And there's some there's some, there's some of the people on that list just we got a couple of Academy Award winners. If you like Rihanna's music, I don't mind her older stuff. I know that sounds proper hipster, but I think that umbrella yeah, and stuff. Like I was about to make an umbrella joke. Okay. Uh, under your umbrella, Ella. Then she starred in Valerian, oh. Arian, Arian, which was tra- tragic. Stephen Curry. Fantastic ball player. Hayley Joel Osment, first millennial male to receive an Oscar nom. If anyone who appeared in Scott yeah. Pilgrim for you, Bruce Willis's daughter turns up. Ron Weasley. So there's a there's for a sure. lot of talent on that list coming out of that year. So um, you people younger than us who, but then again, they wouldn't be able to podcast like we do. So we have that over them. There it is. And you know what though, one of the things um, I I really like looking at a year like this intense and like kind of picking out all these things because. It's crazy to think all of this is just from one year that we're looking at. Like, it is yeah. – like, there's so much that comes out every year, and I don't know that we take the time to just look at it. And, like, I mean, right now, 2018, 
and even the last two years that I've been doing the reviews and going to more movies that are coming out and trying to stay up with what's happening, I still miss stuff every year. You know, things that like will slip through the cracks or that won't get. You a, can never see everything. Yeah. Yeah, or they don't get a big enough release, or you know, um, it just like I I heard about it in January. It doesn't come out till November, and by the time it comes out, I forget it's there. And, like it'll come out with VOD or whatever, and I'll forget I'll forget about it. And there's things that I've I've purchased and haven't watched. So I mean, like taking the time to kind of look back and see. One, I can't believe how many movies I've seen from 1988. Uh, you know, I, there's a lot. And I'm just like, I went to the movies a lot as a kid, apparently. <laughs> yeah, too young to see some of the films. Yes, but we had a theater that was like at our local mall that was like really cheap to go to. And I'm pretty sure that had something to do with me going so frequently because it was like probably a dollar fifty for a ticket. <laughs> which now, yeah, now the cheapest tickets are like, I mean, that we have a drive-in still um, not far from here that it's, I think it's four bucks a person. And it's a double feature, so you get two movies for the Ooh. price of one. But you know, it's it's a driving. So there's in Florida, windows down, mosquitoes, not a good combination. So it's there's trade offs, yeah. But crocodile. <laughs> That's just my knowledge. I've been to Florida once, but um, yeah. Uh, just 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 on an unrelated note, in Florida today, it feels apparently like 106 degrees, yes. which melts my face just thinking about it. Yeah, I was actually telling my wife and uh, daughter about your heat wave, and uh, <laughs> uh, and they like my wife is uh, she hates the heat um, so much, and oh, so yeah, I feel that yeah, it, it is. It was hot today. Um, luckily, I didn't have to spend too much time outside, but my my house, even with the air on, starts to warm up in the middle of the day. So like it, the air is competing with the the hundred degree wet like sun beating down on the roof, and it was. <laughs> teasing uh, rain all day which is like you don't want it to rain but you also really want it to rain when it's this hot yeah and it gets muggy and it gets Uh, awful florida like the other day it rained like all last week so like this weekend you stepped outside and it was like walking into a sauna it was it was torture (laughs) um but yeah it's super hot in florida right now they got it there's weather talk finished i can imagine 1988 was just as hot as well and just as mild in the uk but to us it's a heat wave because uh Yes, our stiff upper lip it, it endures. However, but you, like you say, when you, when you actually properly go into it, you forget how many good films. There, yes, there were some absolute turkeys, but how many good films were released and ones which you kind of think. I mean, we've mentioned a few times going back to rewatch Rain Man, Who Framed Roger Rabbits, um, Die Hard, even things like Beetlejuice uh, and some of the other notable films we talked about. I want to go back and rewatch Charles Play again soon, but you don't realise just how many good films came out and. Going back to rewatch them, just how well they they hold up, and also even just some of the people who were born in that year, people like Emma Stone and Michael Cera, and even like Rihanna, who are now just household names, were all born in the same year that these films were, you know, coming out and gaining their own fame. So, yeah, I like it's nice to see all that kind of tied up together. And that's I, I look forward to. Uh, I know we're not done, but I look forward to like the next episode and whatnot to yeah. to to do this with so many years. I mean, we could do this for a long time and each time it's going to be an interesting like investigation into this year of uh, a film because i gotta say 88 man there's some there's some flops for sure uh, as we noted cocktail being in the top 10 and also winning the razzie for worst movie speaks some volumes about uh you know movie going you know practices but Taste, yeah. at the same time like you you've got some really big films that came out this year and I, uh, the next thing we're going to talk about i think is really really interesting in a lot of ways yeah, man. So as well, yeah, as 1988 came to a close, and some bloody awesome movies were unleashed on the world, and some bad ones, of course. Uh, some 
magnificent performers also took their first steps into cinema. Some of them young, some of them old, some may even be surprising. But what we're going to go through now is who made their cinematic debut in 1988. And there are some big lists, big names on this. So, John, who's first on that list? Well, before I read it, I just want to comment on the names in general. I am looking at the list and I'm shocked at the age gap on some of the debuts. You know, like some of these are like young kids performing and others are like in the middle i would imagine like my age with making their debut but uh tim allen is the first one on the list he debuted in the movie tropical snow which i've never heard of or seen but he's most known for toy story as the voice of buzz lightyear one of my favorite pixar characters honestly one of my favorite christmas movies is the santa claus i hate the sequels but i love the first one so so much um and it, I watch it every year me too and i think it's it's the epitome of what makes tim allen great uh, you obviously he's those are his films known for. I would say he's probably most known for um, uh, Home Improvement, but yeah, yeah. Realistically, I think these two performances are his legacy. Uh, the Santa Claus, which I feel is an maybe not as appreciated Christmas film because of because of Tim Allen, but Toy Story. I mean, come on, Buzz Lightyear is so amazing of a character. But yeah, Tim Allen from makes his debut in '88. This one surprised me. Annette Benning. Me too. Annette Benning in The Great Outdoors, another film which must have just slipped under my radar. But she's known for American Beauty, The Grifters, American President. Um, but Annette Benning is still starring in some high quality films now. She's, I think she's in Captain Marvel next year. Oh, really? Uh, she was in 20th Century Women, uh, what, two years ago, I think? And then last year she had the, um, I can't think of the title. Film some... Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. That's it? Um, that I've not uh, seen yet. It's on my Good list film. to rent. Um because it is out of Redbox and stuff now. Do you guys have Redbox? Uh, I've never heard of it. It's a like vending machine where you rent DVDs. Uh, no, we haven't got that over here. No, that sounds awesome. But no, we haven't. Yeah, because like we have them at like our, our grocery stores and our, our uh, com- like convenience store type um, like Walgreens and CVS. It's just a, it's a little kiosk outside. You swipe a card and pick your movie, and a little disc comes out in a little plastic case. You have it. It's a dollar fifty for uh, twenty four hours. How's that governed? I uh, it's kind of an honor system, um, and it, they're pretty good. If like if my friends pick the DVD up and there's no disc in it, and they refund the money instantly, and uh, if you don't bring it back within 24 hours, um, they charge you every day, and after I think 30 days, you own the movie. So, okay, fair enough. Because I can imagine it'd be like something like those. Uh, I always thought you've got the uh, those kind of little boxes where you put a dollar in, open up the flap. And you take out your newspaper. And I always thought, what's stopping you from just taking all of the newspapers out? But I guess it's that on the system. This is uh, robotic. No, it, it comes out like um, you don't see the inner mechanisms moving, but the disc like slides out. And then you gotcha. you pull it out. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I just thought about that. I was like, hey, I wonder if that's a, an American thing or everywhere. There you go. Never had Redbox. Well, uh, I guess – so Annette Benning. I don't know how old she was here, but she's definitely not – a, a kid when she's debuting so i'm surprised because she's gone on to have an amazing career that's only you know 30 years yeah then you look at the next one macaulay culkin <laughs> um rock the rocket gibraltar which i also don't know but obviously he's most known for home alone and home alone 2 lost in new york and my girl which my girl was filmed uh not far from where i live actually it's uh i think about 30 minutes away from me that's an interesting fact. Which part? Just the whole thing? Hopefully not that horrific um, bee scene. I think uh, part of it. I don't know for sure, but I know it was filmed in Bartow, which is uh, just a couple of towns over from where I live. 
Nice, that's an interesting fact. Well, the next guy would have also been fairly young, debuting in Mystic Pizza, which is an awesome title. Uh, Matt Damon from the Bourne franchise of Martian Goodwill Hunting. He is a 1988 alumni also. Yeah, which um, he's America's favorite person to go rescue in space. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Team America had fun with him as well. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm a big Matt Damon fan, though. Um, I generally like what he does. I I don't like it. I didn't like two of his movies from last year, though. Um, Downsizing? Downsizing, and I hated Suburbicon so much. Suburbicon was... Yeah, I... Put it, put a poor acid on that. Yeah, I was so disappointed with that movie because, uh, man, I'm such a Cohen fan. I was just excited, like, oh, Cohens are attached to this, kind of, but not really. Next up, David Duchovny debuts in Working Girl, but obviously becomes most famous as Mulder um, on the uh, Fox series X Files. Which, if you haven't listened to the X Files Files podcast uh, by Kamel and Johnny, I recommend it. Um, really good podcast. That sounds awesome. I haven't heard of that. I like Cameron Ujani, but I don't know. He did an X-Files, Files podcast. Yeah, but he, I know David Duchovny has tried breaking into, into films and they've really had an awful lot of success. His kind of medium is television. Yeah, and he's uh, he's had luck with other series. I think uh, Californication, I think, yes. was his uh, Showtime series, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been Stars, one of those networks. Um, I have not seen it, but yeah, he's he's had a lot of luck with TV, not as much with movies, although he he's had some good like little cameo parts in movies, but... Oh yeah, never sort of. He's never been a lead man. No. So in in the films, uh, the next guy in a film we've already mentioned, the 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 awesome coming to America gave us Cuba Gooding Jr., who then later on went to show Tom Cruise the money and Jerry Maguire. He was in Men of Honor and of course Boys in the Hood. Yeah, um, and uh, and most recently the O.J. Simpson uh, FX series, where, yes. um, which got tons of praise for the uh, Golden Globes and whatnot, making her debut. Allison Hannigan. My stepmother is an alien. Um, I'm a big fan of her from uh, American Pie, How I Met Your Mother, and of course Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, as yeah. Willow. And uh, I, I'm a huge How I Met Your Mother fan, so I, I love seeing her name on this list. In fact, I think the next one as well. Mr. Neil Patrick Harris from starring Clara's Heart, and of course he is uh, he's Barney, isn't he? In How I Met Your Mother, yes, yeah. He also voices some of the Smurfs as well. Actually, no, uh, he's the live action element of the Smurf movies. I hate oh, that he? I know that. I hate so much oh. that I know that. But yeah, he, I'm glad I didn't know uh, that. <laughs> he is the uh, the live action guy who interacts with the Smurfs in the two movies, um, and of course he was most famous in the early days as Doogie Howser. Um, yes. And almost didn't have a career after that, but thanks to the uh, infamous Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, where he played himself as a crackhead and womanizer, um, he kind of revitalized his career. It was crazy that that performance, all of a sudden you start seeing him and stuff again, and now he's he's done tons of things. And on Netflix right now, with the series yeah, Unfortunate Events. Yeah, yeah, which, sorry, I'm a, I'm a big Neil Patrick Harris fan, so I kind of went on a little tangent there, but I, I owe that to How I Met Your Mother. Then we have Bonnie Hunt, who debuts in Rain Man, the, the movie that we've talked about quite a bit in this episode. She's in the Cars franchise, Zootopia, which I loved Zootopia so much. Big fan. And The Green Mile, which is on my gap list, Matt. I've never seen The Green Mile. I freaking love The Green Mile. Again, Tom Hanks is uh, It is a film which will... You, you, when you watch it, you will not look away. It's Tom Hanks' is magnetic. There's moments in it which will have you... Cringing, crying. not in a bad way. They're yeah. yet crying. There's moments which will have you. You will. You will want to put your hands through the screen and throttle one of the characters in it because it is played so well, so well. 
Uh, Sam Rock was in it. Michael Clark yeah. Duncan is in it. David Morse is also in it. It's Green Man. Green Miles an awesome film. And um, yeah, Bonnie Hunt starring the Great Rain Man went on to do some some good films. Yep. Um, after that, who we went on to do some not so good films in the starred in Mo- Two Moon Junction, but went on to lead the Resident Evil franchise was uh, Mila Jovovich. Uh, I don't like the Resident Evil franchise. I don't think the first <laughs> one was okay, but yeah, I like the first. The games one. I like. I do too, and I, I like the first movie. I find them. I, I want to say they're stupid fun, but they're really not. They get progressively worse too as they go. Yeah. But I I love her in The Fifth Element, which is uh one of my favorite Bruce Willis sci-fi action adventure movies. Um, you know she plays uh, well The Fifth Element. So. Um, yeah, no spoilers, but that, that's who she plays. Yeah. 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 Uh, Lilu. Lilu Dallas Multipass. That's right. Now here we get to uh, a couple that I'm very excited to talk about. Lisa Kudrow. Um, who I'm a big fan of from Friends, but she got her debut in 1988 in Married to the Mob, and then obviously most famous for Friends, but she's actually had a few other series. I think The Comeback was an HBO series that she did, and then she started a web series, um, I'm gonna, Web web Therapy, I think was what it was called, where uh, it was on YouTube. I've heard of that. And then it got picked up by Showtime or HBO or something, and um, it was like a 15-minute, uh, kind of like unfriended film from computer screens where you could see like, you know, a, like a Skype conversation, basically, where she would do therapy sessions that way as a character. But um, yeah, yeah, she's had she's had some stuff, and she's done a few other features. Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Um, I'm a I'm a Lisa Kudrow fan, uh, especially because I have a I am a Friends addict. I have seen that show way too many times, Matt. Way, way too In many times. In the words of Dave Grohl, I've got another confession to make. <laughs> I've never seen Friends. Really. Biggest TV show of all time, probably. I have seen what, it enough sitcom. for the both of us, sir. <laughs> I've, I've, I've never seen it, I, and I don't know why that is. But I've never been drawn to it. I've never... I, I go, is it? Can I say I've never wanted to see it, even though I've never seen it? Is that a thing? Yeah. It's never, really, it's never really taken me in. Uh, obviously, I'm like, more than aware of the massive pop culture references. Yeah. I can name the characters. I can name the actors who play them. I've just never seen it. I will say um, it is my guilty pleasure show where, like, if I am just needing something on in the background, like, it's on Netflix now, so I'll just throw it on and, and work and have it just on because I've seen all of them. I, I, mm-hmm. I do not need to uh, to watch it. I just it, – it makes me feel – it's like comfort food, you know? Like, it makes me feel at ease and at peace. Um, and it's like – a grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah, it, it is the most in, inaccurate representation of New York City that could be imaginable <laughs> as you have seven characters and all of them are white. And it's like, come on, people. New York is a <laughs> melting pot of, of all culture and like most of the people on the show are white. And they they slowly try to diversify a little, but it is it is such a sad representation of what New York City is. But yet it's, it's super funny. It's uh, – you know, there's some good stuff in it. There's also some bad stuff, but it's that turn off my brain, let it let it be on in the background. I love the characters. I love ah, uh, it's stupid. But Lisa Kudrow, high on my list, and I get to talk about another friend in a few minutes. So I'll let you go next. You do. I, uh, unfortunately, I do have to sandwich the friends. Clive <laughs> Owen repping the British representation there from Coventry, uh, a couple of hundred miles away from where I live. Actually, it's only about a hundred miles. Ah. In in the classic. Vroom, and I use that with sarcastically because I've never heard of Me it. Me either. Yeah, he debuted in Vroom, but he also went on to star in the magnificently glum but fantastic Children of Men. Yes. And Sin City as well. He had a kind of period where, a really good period in that kind of mid-noughties and 
Recently, yeah. he also was smited by being in Valerian. I'm sorry yeah. if you got anyone out there likes that. I've said it before. That's nothing wrong with that at all. But um, it wasn't for me. But Clive Owen, fa- very, very good English actor. Yeah, and um, Vroom, I'm assuming, is a racing movie? Because it's got to be like a car sound, right? Like Vroom! Oh, that, or a vacuum cleaner or something. Oh, yeah. that would be fun. Or maybe it's like V-Room. It's like virtual room. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, next up is Matthew Perry making his debut, who is my uh, spirit animal. Um, a, night, <laughs> a, a Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon. Um, Matthew Perry is Chandler on Friends, who is my favorite character on the show. Um, I would say... I sadly have mimicked my life a, a lot of Chandler because he is a spaz. Um, he's very, you know, sarcastic and witty. And I definitely, uh, I connect with that character so much. So I am a huge Matthew Perry fan. And it's great to see that he got his debut here. Unfortunately, he's had flop after flop after flop since Friends. <laughs> um, I have liked many, many things, including his uh, co-starring role in A Whole Nine Yards with Bruce Willis, which yeah. I enjoy that movie very much. I don't, I'm not saying it's good. But I like it. Would you say Matthew Perry or Matt LeBlanc has had greater success on the big screen? Hmm. I would say LeBlanc. Mm, I think he had Le- that duffer oh. lost in space a long time ago. Yeah, he. I think LeBlanc's movies have bombed consistently. Where I think Whole Nine Yards did okay, and then um, I don't know. They both have had like. Of the friends, Anderson is obviously the uh, the front runner, with Courtney Cox being a strong second, and then Kudrow. The 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 girls on the show have, I think, survived a lot better than the guys. I think the guys have struggled to find footing again. Especially, I mean, I can't. David Schwimmer has. Uh, sure. He's had. Uh, he's you know he's the voice of the giraffe in the uh, Madagascar movies. So like I guess hiding behind voice acting, but he's directed a few things too. Um, but Matthew Perry's had some bomb movies though, like Fools Rush In, I think with Selma Hayek, I, I think was who the, the lead female was yeah, on that one. Yeah, I think it uh, was. And then, uh, I mean, but he's had some good TV shows that just never do well. Um, there was one a couple years ago where he was like a, a radio DJ, like talk radio DJ, and he was going through like grief counseling because his wife had died. And it was, I really liked the show. Um, it, it only did like a season and a half, I think, and then it got canceled and just, He's had a few series like that where it just doesn't pick up and yeah, but you know, friends, uh, for all of them is just, they're still making tons of money on the residuals for that. Cause that's oh, man. the syndication for friends is ridiculous. <laughs> all they ever need to do is just swallow their pride one day, come back and make one season, one episode, one film. And even though they're already sorted for life financially, that will go through the roof for sure. A hundred percent agree with that. Well, the next five people on the list are, well, certainly four of the next five, to be fair, 80% of the, of yes. the next have gone on to wonderful things uh, in different career paths. But Crazy. first off, we've mentioned this guy before. This is his cinematic debut. It's Alan Rickman in Die Hard. And of course, he went on to to star in the Harry Potter franchise as uh, Severus Snape. He's in Love, actually. He was... Uh, the, he was in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, yeah. Kevin Costner is another sort of Gruber-esque villain. Alan Rickman, a, a London-born actor who went on to become one of Britain's finest, more, most beloved actors. God rest his soul. Um, 1988 was his debut in the film we've already mentioned, Die Hard. Yeah, which of all the debuts, easily I think the strongest debut on this list because yeah. that movie is a classic and I would never have thought that was his first film, you know? Um what a performance for your first movie like just outstanding absolutely he'd done tv before that but yeah yeah he was 
like similar to kind of Bruce Willis, I guess. He was kind of just plucked and put into the film, and look how it worked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, then next up, Julia Roberts in the film Satisfaction. Obviously, most people have heard of Julia Roberts, uh, Pretty Woman, Aaron Brockovich, um, uh, last year's Wonder, which was uh, surprisingly great. That was uh, fantastic. Yeah, um, and she's, I mean, she was really, really good in Wonder. It kind of reminded me of how great she can be. Um, and she's, man, she's done some classic films, including Ocean's Eleven, um, which, you know, with Ocean's Eight coming out uh, this week, that seems relevant. Yeah, fine way to link it up there, yeah. So Julie Roberts is a brilliant actress. Yes. And in Wonder, she's she's so understated in Wonder. Yeah. Um, and it really show, shows what a fantastic actress she is. And I think there's a, a great role for her. Not to put her back on the map, because she's never really gone anywhere, but... Just yeah. to kind of refocus people on what she can do. Yeah, Don't agreed. forget about her. Taking a dip now to <laughs> somebody who could be forgotten about is um, uh, Steven Seagal made his debut in Above the Law, and he's pretty much best known for Above the Law, <laughs> and Under Siege, of course, as well. But yeah. Steven Seagal, ponytailed, big, sort of gruff-looking, tough guy, or cinematic tough guy. Are you a fan? No, never was. Um and I love martial arts movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can totally move on. Um, to someone who I am kind of a fan of, Uma Thurman. Uh, yeah. Debuts in Johnny B. Good. Um, obviously most famous for uh, the Tarantino work, Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction. Which those are the movies that I think of with Uma Thurman. Don't forget Poison Ivy. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. She was in Batman and Batman Forever. I, Batman Forever, I think it you was. You know what? I'm mad at you now because I totally had managed to forget that. And now I have to rethink that whole <laughs> god-awful movie. She uh, was the best part of that film. Batman and Robin. Um, And yes, she that probably was, right, yeah. was. But good lord, man. Schwarzenegger is Mr. Freeze. What they did to Bane. Oh, <laughs> god, that movie's so bad. She was the best <sighs> part of the film. She kind of smoldered her way through it. Um, yeah, Mr. Freeze, cool, and Bane was just a freak, and thankfully Tom Hardy, even though he spoke strangely, uh, brought, the, brought the character of Bane back. And finally, in the list of 1988, is uh, a fantastic... I want to I I sort of plump him in a supporting actor role, but he has led films, and he's very, very good. He he starred in Big Top Peewee. Uh, Benicio Del Toro, last seen in Star Wars The Last Jedi, and uh, he obviously got has Soldado coming out soon. He's known for the usual suspects, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and Sicario. I'm a big fan of uh, Benicio Del Toro. When he when he's good, he's very, very good. Yeah, and don't forget, he showed up in Infinity War for a few seconds um, as the Collector. Yes, he's, yeah, he was in uh, as a Guardians he was, he was in. Yeah, Guardians, yes. is, uh, he shows up and The Collector. I, I am a fan of Del Toro. I, can, I, I want to see him in Pee Wee, because I, I know I saw that movie. Um, it's been years, because I was a huge Pee Wee Herman fan as a kid, and... There's no way I didn't see that, so I, I can't imagine who he was in that movie. I'm very curious. Benicio Del Toro played the character of Duke the Dog-Faced Boy. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> Which, to me, means nothing. Yeah. I know about Paul Rubens and his uh, his misdemeanors, shall we say, but mm-hmm. I wasn't aware of anyone called Duke the Dog-Faced Boy. Yeah, well, I mean, given Big Top implies circus, so he must have been a part of the freak show. Um, I'm sure uh, Hugh Jackman singing about the greatest showman or something along the lines. Um <laughs> You know, he's got a bit of a dog face to be fair, just looking at that image. So, so folks, it would be amiss if we didn't come up with a horoscope for the year. If you were born in 1988, which neither Matt nor I were, but if you were, you need a horoscope. You have to have like the year of something. And so, looking at this year, it's very clear. There's only one movie that stands out when you look at all of the movies, 
that if you were born in the year 1988, it is the year of the Rain Man. Your horoscope is you should look for special sales on boxer shorts, particularly when shrouded in a blue light. Stay close to daytime courtroom TV shows and ensure you never miss an episode. Be careful of your little brother or sister and forgive yourself if you accidentally hurt them, maybe by scalding them with hot water. Things will definitely, definitely get better for you if you follow these simple instructions. I want to part of me wants to break out into a spontaneous applause. <laughs> That's awesome. And so anyone out there born in 1988, 1988 sorry, live by those rules uh jb has has eloquently put it there for you uh and i think that's a fabulous way to wrap up the show i'm looking forward to this becoming like the the poet laureate of the show yes i, I feel like it is an appropriate way to end um as we analyze the year in movies each time we do this it is you know it's definitely an appropriate kind of feel to like set the tone for the year Absolutely. So, nineteen eighty-eight. As a as a concluding point, then would this be a year you'd say was a success in film, or is it one you'd kind of rather forget about? I would say it's a success for sure. There's several movies here that I think hold up, and I, I some I want to rewatch just from talking about them. Yeah, uh, just just in like the list of people we've just reeled off who've made their debut, have gone into bigger and better things. Uh, the people who are born in this year who have still again gone on to do achieve so much, and the top ten. At least fifty percent of that top ten are eminently rewatchable and probably sure. going to get rewatched in the next few months. Uh, not including Crocodile Dundee two and Cocktail, but if you do like those films, good on you guys. That is that then for this inaugural episode of Movie Astrology. We will be doing this monthly, and we are looking to go back as the as back as far back as the nineteen fifties. There's going to be an awful lot of shows, so. When you like this, <laughs> buckle up, baby, because there's going to be an awful lot more. So so thank you to my superhero co-host, John. Uh, it's been great. And as you've already mentioned, I'm already looking forward to the next episode. Me as well, Matt. Thank you for having me on. No worries. Well, uh, until then, where can the world find you on the internet, John? Ah, You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd at Burke Reviews. That's B-E-R-K. Forgot all about Letterboxd. You can find me at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. Also on Letterboxd, Twitter, Instagram, uh, iTunes for the for what you're already listening to now. As you mentioned, if you like what you hear, tell the world. Tell people you know. Share it with everybody you know. If you've got memories of 1988, if you were born in this year, if you, if you have memories relating to the film, let us know. Because uh, there's nothing better than sharing movie-related anecdotes with fellow uh, people in the community. Be good to each other as well in light of what's going on. Be nice to each other. We're all film fans together, but... Until next time, everybody, see you later.